What's up, everyone? Kevin Wagstaff here with another episode of Spectora Spotlight. Today, we are in for a real treat. Um, we have Chuck Blakeman here today to teach us how to get off the treadmill. He is a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, um, and a world-renowned business advisor. He's actually started 12 businesses in 25 years in multiple countries, um, and he advises large companies and consults today with the Crankset Group, his company. Um, but he has also been featured on Inc. Magazine. He uh, has a TED Talk on emerging, the emerging work world. And he has two best-selling books, um, one of which we're going to discuss today called Making Money is Killing Your Business. Um, so I am so excited to have someone outside of our industry um, come in on the podcast and be able to talk to us because I think it's important for us to get perspectives outside of our industry um, because there's some things we do um, within the home inspection industry that may not be the best for us. So um, I hope you enjoy the interview today with Chuck Blakeman. So I appreciate it. Um, well, Chuck, welcome um, and, and very great to meet you for one. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. You bet. Glad to do it. Yeah. I, um, to give everyone context here, I initially heard about you through one of our um, biggest home inspector companies who said, Kevin, you got to read this book. It's great. And he's local. Throw him an email. Maybe he'll just answer. Um, so thank you so much and to your staff for responding and taking the time to join us. Glad to do it. Um, so everyone knows who you are from the colorful intro that I'll record. Um, I do my intros afterwards. And so, uh, but I always like hearing in your words, just, uh, who you are and kind of how you, how, what you're up to nowadays. You bet. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm, I'm a recovering John Wayne rugged individualist. I'm also left-handed, right-brained, uh, ADHD dyslexic. I graduated near the bottom of my class in high school and they even wondered if they should let me go. I think it took me 19 years to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> so I was a hot mess. Um, and I just was, I assumed that if there was one kid in my high school who wouldn't be able to get a, a, uh, a job, it would be me. So I joined the army and in okay. the army, uh, in the army, I, I, I started a, a little side business and found out I might be able to do something there and Enjoyed that, and uh, over the last 35 years now, I've built 12 businesses and eight industries on four continents, and and uh, kind of just getting started. <laughs> you're you're humble, and I appreciate that. But your bio um, is amazing. Um, you know, I let I let the listeners know that best-selling author, businesses, international speaking gigs, um, contributor on Inc., New York Times, Success Magazine. Um, so the accolades I, are amazing. I never think of myself as an author or a speaker. I'm just a business guy who wrote about it and talks about it. So I yeah. guess that makes me an author and a speaker. I like it. I like, I like the, uh, the casual approach to it. Um, and so Making Money is Killing Your Business is the book that um, George Scott, shout out to George Scott, um, told me about. And I, am, I have to confess, I'm on chapter nine um, and I'm doing the audio book to and from work, but yeah, let's give the listeners just a, a little synopsis and then we can dive into to kind of some certain areas of the book. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> people wonder why, probably wonder why we titled it that. Uh, my titles are snarky, but they're out they're, they're real. It's not just to make you pick up the book. I really truly believe that making money, that if you focus on making money, it's one of the best ways to kill your business. Amazing title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Love it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, the idea there is that uh, people who set out to make money rarely make a lot of it. It's the wrong emphasis. What we need to do is set out to do something that adds value to the world around us. Uh, that's a funny thing called capitalism. And true capitalism always adds value to the world around us. Industrialism a lot of times takes things from the world around us and destroys things from the world around us in order to make money. And a lot of times we're, we're unknowingly involved in industrialism in a tiny little business or in a very large one, because really all we're doing is trying to chase the buck. Hey, we can make money at this. And, and well, what, what impact we have in the world around us? Well, it doesn't matter uh, as long as we make money. So we want to, we want people to build businesses that make money by, by uh, making an impact. But then they, more importantly, we want the business to serve them. I went through six businesses, really probably five or six, kind of a slow learner. And in the first five or six businesses, every time I built one, the more successful it got, the faster my treadmill went. <laughs> every single time. 
And it's like, what is, what's wrong with this picture? I can just see this. So, you know, when this becomes, a, we, went, we took one from 2 million to 9 million and I just got faster. And what if it goes to 20 million? I mean, I'm going to be a wreck. <laughs> so we sold that one and did another one. And then same thing happened. And some of them were small little businesses. You know, they did $300,000 a year and I pulled $125,000 salary off of it. But I was still, no matter what size the dumb thing was, I was on some kind of treadmill, sweating bullets and wondering what was going on on Saturday nights and worried on Monday mornings and never feeling like I could get away. You know, just pretty much typical what everybody goes through, and except for the liars. And because uh, <coughs> there's plenty of those, ah, no, it was, business is great. Yeah, it's great. I have time. I'm yeah, happy. I know what you went through. So, yeah. So, uh, in my sixth business, I made a resolution to myself. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I have no clue how to do this, but Stephen Covey said, start with the end in mind. And so this business is going to somehow not just produce money. This business is going to produce both time and money. And I have no clue how it's going to do it. I just know that that is my practice for this business. Uh, and, and it will do that. So that became my journey. And that really became the book, Making Money is Killing Your Business. That and the, the 20 plus years of mistakes I'd made before that. So, right. yeah, so, so that's how we got to where we are with, with this book. It, it, it came from me deciding that I needed to grow what I, uh, what I very quickly come, came to call a mature business. And a mature business is one you're ready to sell. A mature business, very simply, is one that gives you back both time and money. And when you're not there, it makes money when you are not there and you are not the only decision maker. But the big, the big piece of this is, are you gone on Friday and the thing is still making money? That's a mature business. And you can have a mature business with $200,000 a year or $20 million. You can also have what we call a hostage business uh, and make any kinds of money. I have a, uh, an acquaintance here in town who makes over a couple million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, she's, she's at her office on Saturdays and she has said, if I'm not here, this thing's going to, I got 20 people. And if, if this, if I'm not here, this thing's going to start to degenerate without me. Oh. She is not a business owner. She just thinks she is. She is an income producer. So we, we make those divisions in the book very clearly. Are you a business owner who can survive making money? Or are you an income producer who's a hostage to your business? I love this. Um, you mentioned treadmill. I, I love treadmill guy in the book. That made me chuckle. Um, it's like, are you a treadmill guy? Um, but yeah. we're yeah. so fortunate, one, to have you on here because I'll, I'll back up and say we, we've only had a couple folks outside of the home inspection industry join us. And every time it is so valuable because um, I don't know how, how deeply you know, you know contractor industries like home inspections, but it's a very um, echo, echo chamber type industry, uh-huh. herd mentality. Uh, yeah, I've worked with a lot of uh, a lot of people in the construction industry. I've done a lot of construction. I've built houses from scratch and rebuilt uh, ones that we've lived in, and we're getting into investment. And so I've done a lot of that, and I worked with inspectors. And, great. And yeah, I think one of the things that that's, that you're speaking to here, one of the bits of wisdom here is that, uh, and one, and this was one of the things that took me four or five or six or seven businesses to pick up on this pattern somewhere around 70 to 80% of all business is generic. It applies to a shoemaker or a surgeon. It doesn't matter. You, all of you need to figure out advertising, marketing, client acquisition, business development, uh, accounting, human relations, uh, product development, processes, assembly. There's just so many things, customer satisfaction. There are so many things that are generic to business. And Every industry makes the mistake. I don't get, uh, I, don't, I rarely get invited uh, to association events where, you know, they're having a big conference for, their, for, their, for the plumbers or whatever, because I don't, I'm not a plumber. And what they don't understand is you talk about an echo chamber, you get 4,000 people at a plumbing convention and they all talk about plumbing and that's the 20 or 30% <laughs> of business. They're leaving out the biggest piece. And, the, and guess what? They're all sitting around a table saying, you know, hey, that guy, Bob, man, he's a terrible plumber. How is it that he's got 30 trucks? <laughs> I'm a much better plumber than he is. It's because Bob understands the 70% and you understand the 30. What if you understood both? 
This is so good. And inspectors are a perfect candidate for this book. So I want to say, first of all, no matter, no matter what we get into today, I I encourage every single person listening to pick up this book because I truly believe our industry is like the poster child for treadmill guy. Um, and for your business kind of owning you and just having a job. Yeah. And if you think it's, if you think it's for, you know, giant corporations or or larger businesses, I've had people from every walk of business uh, buy this book, but I'd say the overwhelming majority of them have under 10, uh, we call them stakeholders. And probably a good third of the people who buy this book are by themselves, just learning from it by themselves and figuring out how to, I have so many realtors and, and, uh, uh, financial planners and, and insurance agents who have come to me and said, Hey, I was on the treadmill by myself and I'm still, I still have no stakeholders or W2s and I have figured out how to get off the treadmill. Thank you. I love it. Um, this is good. So let's, if you don't mind, I want to just give you a typical scenario that happens in our industry. Um, half the listeners are going to be nodding their heads as we speak about this. And you can kind of give me, um, you know, give us your take and kind of where you think they should be thinking about their business. So brand new home inspectors basically get in the business sometimes because they think, oh man, I can make six figures. I can make my own schedule. It's going to be great. Um, and that's kind of a trap in my opinion. But for a new inspector that's just getting in the business, just doing, you know, maybe a couple inspections a week or a month. Should, how should they be framing their mindset about a business that serves them um, as they grow to not hit those pitfalls and those you know, hurdles that come once you start growing and making a lot of money? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so first of all, <clears throat> I would start my business with the word we. Mm. Most people have a bad case of the nobodies and they have weemie disease. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I had all this stuff. So, you know, I, I, I'm recovering from all of it. Uh, we Me Disease is basically uh, me talking from me and then having to figure out how do I go from me to we. Even if you never hire anybody, you should say we. Because there's three of you, me, myself, and I. There's definitely three. You're not lying. <laughs> I like it. We. But you should, you should also immediately begin thinking about playing the business owner's game. Right from the get-go, the business owner's game is really simple. One objective, two questions. And this took me, uh, you know, like seven businesses to figure out, and it revolutionized my life, so it can revolutionize yours. Really simple game. Memorize the two questions. Here's the objective. How do I make more money in less time? Anybody can make more money in more time. That's easy. (laughs) Until you run out, you know, until you run out of the 168 hours you were allotted, then you hit a ceiling. Yep. Uh, but what, what, what if you had a different mindset? What if you went into business figuring out how do I make actually more money in less time? Because making less money is easy too. You just work, you know, stop working on a Friday. That doesn't work. That's not going to help you. How do you do both? Make more money in less time. That is the business owner's objective. If you are not thinking that way out of the gate, We're going to draw a very clear distinction today on this. There are two basic buckets we put everybody in who owns a business. One is an income producer and the other is a business owner. And the overwhelming majority of them are income producers. Even when they're making, when they got revenue, you know, $10 million and they got a hundred people or 20, you know, they're most of the uh, people who own businesses are income producers. And it's because they are not thinking this way. They're, all they're thinking about is, how do I grow my business? You know, when you ask them, what is your objective? They all talk about, well, I want to grow this business to $2 million, or I want to grow my, my, rev, my income as, a, as a, a solo inspector to, you know, $150,000 a year. It's all about the revenue and the growth in the business, and it's nothing about you. The subtitle of my book is how to, get a, you know, how to build a business you love and get a life too. So that's the objective. Make more money in less time. And if you're not thinking that way, immediately change the slide in your head and start thinking, be, be rabid about asking the question, how do I make more money in less time? So that's the objective. We're going to make more money in less time. Warren Buffett figured it out. Richard Branson figured it out. And the plumber down the street. And, and I know a, an inspector who came into our three to five clubs here in Denver who was a solo inspector. And he figured out how to get off the treadmill. Uh, by by just changing the slide in his head. So here's the two questions that go with that that uh, business owner slide. 
question number one, with whatever you're doing as that brand new guy starting out, or if you've been at it for 10 years, take a week and ask yourself this question with everything you do from stapling your marketing things to walking to, to uh, uh, real estate offices to anything you're doing, proposals, inspecting itself, ask yourself question number one of the business owner's game. Is what I'm doing right now the highest and best use of my time? That's the number one question. And it's really an easy thing to, you know, it's, it's easy to figure out how to, how to understand that. Number one is, does this make me, does this create energy or, for, or does this sap me? That's, that's a really good indication whether it's a higher or better use. And then a, an even better one is simply to think of it in hourly terms. If I hired someone to do this per hour, how much would I pay them and how much am I worth? If I want to make $125,000 a, 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 $125, a year, you're going to have to charge at least $125 an hour because that means you're only billable 50% of the time and, and good luck even getting to that. Right. And, and so how much, what do you, why are you stapling in front of the TV at night when there's someone who would do that for $13 an hour? And the answer is really dumb logic. I've used it. Here's the dumb logic. I'm saving $13 an hour. <laughs> yep. Well, there's so much wrong with that. I can't begin to try, but yeah. we'll, we'll give it a shot. Number one, if you're worth a hundred, let's say you're worth a hundred dollars an hour, just for easy math. And you're doing something for $13 an hour, you are losing $87 an hour every time you staple. So that's dumb. And then you're saying, oh, but I'm only doing it in the evenings when I'm not doing that $100 an hour stuff. Well, you look at any research on the internet about making decisions and your capacity as a human being, you wonder why you are tired. It's actually not even from the stapling. It's from the decisions you're making while stapling. I have to put these two pieces of paper together. Are they lined up now? Now I have to put the staple in. Do I put the staple in too close mm -hmm. to the edge? Or, and then I have a stack of them. And how many do I have? You're making multiple decisions and your brain can only handle X number of decisions a day, a day and then you start making bad decisions. You're wearing yourself out before you even get to the next day and you're losing $87 an hour. Hire somebody for $13 an hour to do that once or twice a month. There's $26 and go spend those two hours doing $100 an hour activity. So you made 200 bucks, you spent 26, you're up $174. And you can afford to pay that person for another three or four months and not do that work. Oh, okay. So this is so good because our industry. Um, oh, that, so that, I, I forgot. I got, on, I got on a tangent there. That was fun. That's business owner question number one. Is what I'm doing the highest and best use of my time? And obviously the answer to that when you first get started is going to be no, 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 uh -uh, no, 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 no. Nah. You know, it's like 90% of the time is going to be, nope, that's not. But I get it. You have to do that to get started up. Make a list of those things and prioritize them. Which ones will, will solve the most of the, uh, which will solve more of the others if I, if I pick that one first. Which ones are the worst energy drains for me? Those are, those are where you should start. And you, and you go to question number two in the business owner's game. If you ask question number two of everything you're doing, it will change your life. So question number one. What is, is what I'm doing right now the highest and best use of my time? Question number two, if, if not, then how do I do it for the last time? I know it's a really broad, generic question, but if you are, you know, the old Alcoholics Anonymous thing is, a, I guess it's the idea of uh, having the right question is 90% is the, is of the solution. <laughs> and, we, and that's the right question. And the answer will be anything from systemize it, process it, Buy a piece of software, outsource it, get a, get a W-2 at 1099, uh, find somebody else who's in the industry to share a, a resource with. There's, you know, there's a, a multiple ways, and I put them in, in the book. Here's how you play that game and do things for the last time. If you are really insatiable about it, you will figure out how to get to where a lot of your time is the $125 to $200 an hour stuff, and you'll be doing things you love. And that's how you build a business that, that, um, that you'll love and get a life to. This is great. Um, there's so much to dig into here. Um, and so for, for the new or even experienced inspectors, they fall victim to this all the time. They want to build their own websites. They want to do all these things that take them tens and dozens of hours when our real world application is the best use of their time typically is meeting and building relationships with agents that feed them business. Um, and so there's so many other distractions for them to chase down. 
I love the mindset training though of, okay, how much would it cost to outsource this? When's my goal to stop doing this? Um, I know in, in your book, you talk a lot about setting dates of when you want to stop doing things that cause you pain or, uh, you know, something to that effect. Yep. And so um, I challenge every inspector to look at their day today and say, ask yourself, gosh, is um, creating these flyers, doing something on my website, um, you know, tweaking my report and my template, the best use of my time when at the end of the day, we know what grows the business. It's shaking hands. Um, it's getting your online presence up there so people can find you. Um, so just good food for thought there. Absolutely. This is a business building 101. We want to make the chair and the best use of our time is to go out and find people who will have the confidence in us to refer people who need to buy a chair. It's about yeah. building relationships. Yeah. And if you could talk a little about the, the mindset shift, um, just, there's just like a, a fetishizing of, Oh, I'm grinding. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm, you know, I'm working 20 hour days. It, it doesn't have to be that way for new inspectors or, you know, even experienced inspectors. No, right? It doesn't. Nope. I, uh, I gave this talk uh, on this making money stuff. I don't know, four or six or eight years ago. And this woman comes up to me afterwards. She's a dog walker and she says, all right, so I'm supposed to get off this treadmill and I'm supposed to make money when I'm not there. Well, how in the world do I do that? I walk dogs. You know, and if I'm not there, the dogs don't get walked. And I make $30,000 a year walking dogs. And I've been doing that for 15 years. I went back to my uh, house and, and uh, I might have been on the road hotel and, and looked on the internet. And in about 10 minutes, I found a company that went from zero to $10 million a year walking dogs in two years. Oh. In two years. So I, I gave her that and I got the, the response I expected. Most of us have a craftsperson's mindset. That's an income producer's mindset. It is a craftsperson. The craftsperson starts their, their uh, business with this question. Wouldn't it be great if I could, do, if I could make money doing the thing I love? That's, you know, <laughs> people say, if you do the, something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's the biggest lie in business. If you do something you love, you will be a hostage to your business because you won't figure out how to give it away. <laughs> so, so number one is she's walking dogs, doing the things she loves. And, she's, and I told her, well, here's a company that did it in two years. They were 10 million. And her response was the craftsperson's response. But, but I love walking dogs. <laughs> and you're telling me I, don't, I can't walk dogs? I said, and I said, I just didn't say anything about you not walking dogs. In fact, if you own a $10 million company, you can walk dogs anytime you want. And she just looked at me. And then I said, do you, do you walk dogs that you don't like walking? Yeah. Would you like to walk only the dogs you want to walk? Yeah. Well, then you need to build a business instead of an income. Because right now all you have is an income. We call it a bad case of the nobodies. Nobody's as good. Nobody's as experienced. Nobody's as knowledgeable. Nobody's as invested. All these other bits of nonsense in our heads that keep us from actually uh, getting involved in something that will actually make us money so, uh, while we're not there. So we've got to get past that, that income producers slide in our head and, and to realize that we don't have to, to have a grind even from the beginning. Seriously, think about, there is no excuse today. Even 40 years ago, there wasn't much, but 40 years ago, there was no such thing as virtual assistants. Hmm. And right now you can go on the internet and find somebody in the Philippines for $4 an hour who rocks the world, who's as good or better than anybody in your hometown. And they can work for you, you know, eight hours or 10 hours a week. It's going to cost you $40 and they work for you $4. I mean, there's just no excuse for doing all of those things that you're not good at, that you don't like doing, and that you're doing because you think you're saving $13 an hour. <laughs> especially admin work because it, it's not client touching. I, you know, I get the inspectors are saying, Oh, I don't want people answering my phones unless they're professional and they know the business that can be trained. And I believe. Absolutely. You know, I go into every other business in the world. And say, Have you ever heard of Charles Schwab? <laughs> he used to work there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, Charlie traded stocks. That's what Charlie did to start out. And I'm pretty sure he had weemy disease and a bad case of the nobodies. Because, you know, it was just Charlie and nobody's as good as Charlie. Nobody can trade stocks like Charlie. And, well, I don't know. He must have gotten over that because I'm pretty sure Charlie hasn't uh, traded a stock in, I don't know, a couple of decades. Mrs. Fields made cookies in a little tiny shop 
I think it was in Connecticut. And now she owns a $100 million cookie company. Somehow she found somebody who was good enough to make cookies. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> and are you still there? Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a big problem in our industry because there is this misperception that um, you have to be the most technical or know the most about homes. Sure. Like your example of like, no, you don't have to be the best about knowing the ins and outs of a home. There's so much else to the business besides that. So I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, one, one of these where you don't have to know everything. Rick, Rick saw an opportunity. He's a friend of mine. He's in one of our three to five clubs. People can go to three to five club.com and see if there's one in their town. But uh, Rick uh, started, looked at the painting industry and said, I think I could do something here. I know nothing about painting. He just figured out uh, uh, how to get into the industry here and, and started uh, meeting, meeting contractors and, and kissing babies and slapping hands and, <laughs> Yep. And he put together a crew and uh, he now has about uh, uh, 75 people working for him and he takes home a few hundred thousand dollars a year and he has never painted a wall. Wow. I, I, I don't know of anybody in the, specifically in the home inspection industry, but I can tell you much more technical industries where I, I have friends who have done things like that who know nothing about that thing but they know the 70% of business that matters. And the, finding somebody technical is the easy part. Getting someone who can actually do the 70% to grow the business. If you can do that, uh, do that. Yes. Um, what advice or tips would you give the home inspector um, that struggles to let go and trusting hiring another inspector um, to really alleviate them. And maybe even before they feel like the business is there, because I do believe when you hire someone, you're going to bust your butt to fill up the calendar. Yeah. Yep. You will. So uh, number one, you have to make sure the fear we have is that someone is not going to represent me the way I would represent me at that expense, at that uh, uh, inspection. Mm -hmm. um, they won't do the same job. They won't have the same thoroughness. Or they won't be as polite or there'll be something about what they do that isn't, me and that's a you know it's a, a pat, bad case of the nobodies but one way to begin to get over that is to write what we call in, in the book a freedom map uh, mm. and you know that's uh, fr freedom maps are uh i'm trying to remember what oh that's chapter seven yep yep in the book and a freedom map simply says how do i get this out of my head through my heart out my hands onto a piece of paper so that somebody else could represent me as if i was there let me write a process that they train on, that we agree on together, that we can monitor and control with some simple little uh, results uh, and, and, and uh, data. And we can, know, we can know with assurance that people are going out and they're doing, they're making the chair the way I would make the chair because they're following my process. So that's, that's the first thing to do is to put together that process and do it with the other person if you can. But if you can't, Get their buy-in to make sure that they're all in, that they'll do it your way. That's what Mrs. Fields did. That's what Charles Schwab did. Richard Branson, Warren Buffett. They, you know, they just here's here's how I want things done, if I'm not there, and then let's write a process to make sure that they understand exactly how to make that happen. So that's that's the first piece of this would be to to get that freedom map, and we call it a freedom map because that's going to give you the freedom to not have to do that yourself. So that's number one. And then number two is be, be picky about who you hire. Don't, don't, uh, don't hire the first person who can fog a mirror. You know, <laughs> whatever, whatever you're looking for, you may be looking for someone who has no background in the, in the industry. That's actually a good place to start. People think they need highly experienced people. More often than not, I'd, if it's not, you know, if it's not, uh, heart surgery or something like that. I'd rather get someone with very little or no knowledge of the subject and teach them myself because I don't have to do any backtracking on all the things they think they know or they do differently or et cetera, et cetera. So be picky about who you hire. Completely agree. Uh, even especially with home inspectors, the emotional intelligence to be able to convey defects and findings to a client and an agent and that interpersonal dynamic. Sure. I, I believe everyone's got to hire for that first. You can teach them about a home teach them about construction. Um, but you got higher personality in this industry. Yep. Um, I great agree. advice. 
Yeah, mean, and that's that would be it's a subject for another day. But how we hire is is so important. We have a, a what we call a reverse hiring process, eleven step hiring process, and again, it's for another day. But the point of it is a hire first for culture and talent, not for skills and experience. What do we do? We look at resumes and we say, how long has this person done this and how many skills do they have? Wrong thing to look at. Look, because you can teach both of those things. You can't teach culture and you can't teach talent. If someone has the personality and the, the smooth tongue and you know, the silver tongue and the, and the quick wit or you know, the, warm, uh, the warm personality, that, whatever it is, you can't teach that stuff. Hire for culture. Make sure they're a great culture fit with your company because that will take you down faster than anything. And, uh, and resist the desire to hire for skills and experience. In our 11-step process, we don't even look at a resume until we're down to like six or eight candidates until we're, we've pretty much weeded everybody out because we don't want to be biased by great experience or great skills. It will, it will color your thinking on how to hire. So uh, do it that way. Drug, Peter Drucker said, hire slow and fire fast. And he was right. Yep. And I've, uh, here at Spectora, we've done it both ways and it's very painful if you do that, if you invert that. Um, <laughs> uh, great. That, that, that's great advice. Um, you know, every inspector I think is facing that with many markets around the country doing very well. Everyone's as busy as they can be and everyone's running on the treadmill. Our whole industry sprints on the treadmill. Um, and so, I don't think it takes a ton of time to get a job posting out there and start meeting people. Um, you, whether it's grabbing coffee to find that culture and talent fit initially. Um, but you know, the biggest thing we hear every day is, Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's interesting and, and everybody thinks their industry is, is unique. I love it. When, <laughs> you know, I, I'm giving a, I'm giving a talk and I've stopped, I've even stopped waiting for the question. I'll just basically put it out there somewhere toward the end of my talk. I'll say, I know that you've been sitting there saying to yourself, well, yeah, but my business is unique. <laughs> and I would say, absolutely it is. It's built with your personality and your way of doing things. It's totally unique. But none of that is an excuse for not being able to get off the treadmill. There's nothing unique in that way. And I finally uh, was able to make that point with, with uh, clients of ours. In fact, I've, I've only worked with two inspectors, and both of them got off the treadmill because they just changed the slide in their head and figured out, okay, yeah, my business is unique, but this stuff works with every business. It, it, it has no, no limits. It's, so I, we took one of our, uh, we teach people to make more money in less time. So I do the same thing myself. I don't have appointments on Mondays or Fridays and I don't have appointments the last week of the month. And then we take a month in the summers or some other time to go away. And a couple of years ago, we went to Tuscany and mm -hmm. we visit, visited Da Vinci's town, Leonardo from Vinci, Da Vinci, and found out the, that uh, there was a little museum there. And I found out there's two Mona Lisa's. I don't know if you knew that. There's a Mona Lisa in the Louvre. They know Da Vinci painted that. And then there's a Mona Lisa in the Prado Museum in Spain. And they didn't know who painted it. It was 500 years old, just like the other one. They assumed it was Da Vinci, but it was unsigned. But they assumed it was him because it was absolutely identical, right down to the tiniest of little paint strokes. And a couple of years ago, they got behind those things with, with MRI and, and RFI imaging and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they figured out there was an apprentice sitting right beside Da Vinci painting the Mona Lisa stroke for stroke as he painted it. Can you imagine the guy not knowing the history he's involved in? Well, the point of that story for me as a business owner is this. <clears throat> is, there's, is there anything you are doing in home inspecting that is anywhere as difficult as painting the Mona Lisa? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have a much better opportunity to find somebody, A, because what you're doing isn't as difficult, and B, more importantly, because your world is so much bigger. He didn't have, Da Vinci didn't have the internet to find this guy. His uh, 10, day, 10, uh, 10 miles was a, a full walk, and he's like 40 miles from Florence. He's four or five days from the next city. Somehow in his tiny little closed-off world, he found somebody good enough to paint the Mona Lisa in such a way as to fool the, the world for 500 years. You can find somebody else who can paint your Mona Lisas for you. So there's no excuse for not finding somebody else. This is all in our heads. And, it, and it's all, Kevin, it's all self-fulfilling prophecies. If you believe 
that nobody's as good as you, then you will end up with, with mini me like uh, Dr. Evil in the Austin Powers movie. <laughs> yeah. You need to be looking for Maxi me. Maxi me is, is uh, I believe there's somebody out there who's better than I am. If yes. you believe that, you'll find that person. Yes, and it takes humility and understanding uh-huh. our industry to say, you know what, there's lots of talented people out there. We can train them. Um, and it takes work up front, right? I think you mentioned that in the book yeah. of there's going to be human investment that you'll need to make in these people if you want them to represent you. Yeah, it's, it's one of so many reasons why business owner or income producers never become business owners. An income producer will say, holy crap, I'm so busy doing inspections. I, I, they're coming on my ears. And you want me to hire somebody and train them too? I don't have time for that. I'll wait until things slow down. <laughs> And then you wait until things slow down. You say, well, I don't have enough business to hire somebody. I'll wait until things speed up. And then things Precisely. Speed up. Well, I don't, you know, things speed up. And well, I'm too busy. And you get the picture. We call it the roller coaster treadmill. And then 30 years later, you wonder why you're in the same spot you were 30 years ago. Oh. It's because you didn't do dual tracking. The best time to build a business from an income is when you are too busy to do anything. That's think of that as momentum up from a from a roller coaster. You have gotten you've got your roller coaster momentum up. It's time to take off. Don't get tied to the track. Use that upward momentum and dual track. Yes, I know you're working 50 hours a week. Now go hire somebody and work 65 hours a week, training them and working, having them work alongside of you for a few months to you know three to one to six months so that you can get them to the point where now you are working less. We call this being ambitiously lazy. And most people are just lazy. I just want to work 50 hours a week. I mean, that's stupid lazy because you're working like crazy. But I'd rather work my butt off for the first year or two and get it over with so that uh, I get Mondays and Fridays in the last week of every month off. Such good advice. Takes a, a medium-term vision slash long-term vision. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, and we're and we're just killing the next mastodon. We're all short-term vision people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so make the investment up front. Document processes. I think that's something our um, you know inspectors struggle with. They're not great at putting things on paper, putting things online. Um, would you, would your advice just be, Hey, oh. it's like a muscle, build the muscle of documenting what you do. Sure. And see, again, that's not the highest and best use of my time. Get somebody in the Philippines. I can guarantee you, you can figure out how to outsource all of your documentation to somebody else, he, either in your hometown or in uh, Jamaica or, you know, somewhere else. But absolutely. It's one of the things I love about in, in any industry. The first thing I do when I, when I work with somebody in the industry, I ask them, what is the thing that nobody else does here? What's the hard thing that very few people in this industry do? You know, like with plumbing, it used to be, well, nobody's on time. (laughs) All right, well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to be on time. We're just going to do what nobody else does. So if nobody documents, if nobody creates problems, imagine if you could go into a, a, a realtor's office and say, look at my freedom map. Look at my map of how we actually do this whole process. Here's you. Here's the client. Here's how long it takes. Here's our entire process. Here's the data. Here's... Here's our reports from the last time. If nobody else is doing that, it's just not even a fair fight. Yeah. And, and you just, you bring up a great point. I want to mention that's a specific example for inspectors is when you're talking to agents, make sure to mention every inspector in our company has a process for how we do things to make them realize it's not just you. Uh, because I think a lot of times they get the agent, oh, I want, I want Chuck. He does a great job. He's great with clients. And they don't think anyone, they've already sold the wrong picture right. to the agent that no yep. one else can do it like Chuck, you know? Yep. No, we, we, that's, that's when you, when you, when you first meet the agent, we, it's, it's like uh, the goose hatching on, on the first thing they see. There's an old documentary, 30 minute documentary from like 20 years ago. This guy takes off in an ultra light airplane and 15 geese follow him. And it's like, how did he get him to do that? Real simply, he just stood over their eggs as they hatched. And when they saw him, they thought that was mom. So they, <laughs> So they imprinted on him and, you know, that's, that's them hatching on him. We have to figure out how to get people to hatch on our company, to imprint on our company, not on us. So there's that we, me thing again. You go to the, to the, uh, to the realtor and you take your map with you. Uh, we've taught people, realtors and, and uh, insurance agents and inspectors, take your map with you and show them the process. Uh, and show them what parts they're responsible for and what parts the homeowner might be responsible for. And 
take it with you and make it part of the conversation and show them this is how we as a company do our business. And it doesn't matter which, which inspector we plug into this process, you're going to get the same unbelievable service. How do you think McDonald's got so big? Is it because they hired people who had great personalities, who were unique and had this unique ability to, no, they came up with a really fun, you know, really simple process, fundamental process that anybody could run. And no matter where you go, whatever, whatever window you want to have food thrown through you at in America, you're going to get the same French fries. We can do the same thing. Make, Mrs. Fields makes cookies. Charlie makes, uh, does stocks. And you can do this with home inspection. Oh, I completely agree. I love it. Down to it can start off, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I'm guessing if you're training someone, it can start off as, you know, somewhat robotic to say, this is how we talk. This is where we say this. This is yeah. where we do this. And then they can customize it. Your there's, there's, training is a simple four-step process. We give our, our, our coaching clients a four-step card for how to train. It's really simple. First, you do something while they watch you. Then... First, you do something. You figure it out. Then you find somebody to watch you. Then you have them. Second step is you have them watch you do it. Then you take a piece of that, the simplest, easiest first piece, and you give that to them. Say, hey, you think you can do this piece? And they say, yeah, I think I can do that piece. All right, let me watch you do that. So now you reverse roles. Instead of you doing and them watching, now you're watching and they're doing. And, and you gradually give them more of the stuff to do until all you're doing is watching. And then the fourth step is you go do something else. <laughs> you're, you're the mentor, you know, Hey, I'll be over here training somebody else or doing something else, but you got this. So do it yourself, then do some of it and have them watch, then have, uh, then watch them do it and then get out of the way. It's a simple, it. simple, it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. Exactly. Simple, but not easy or easy, but whatever that goes. But I think inspectors can take a ton from that of make it a process that you can repeat um, while you're teaching them. Yeah. You can have a, Simple uh, checkoff, just a simple checklist. Here's the 37 things that you need to check off on this list that you actually did when you were at this house. Now, the pe people could still game that, but now you're into integrity and all kinds of stuff. I, I don't think you want to, you know, you don't want to worry about that, but you can make this stuff really process driven. Take pictures, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do to create an environment where you don't have to be there and you can actually know that this went well. Let's talk a little, um, I'm personally curious to talk a little more about the freedom map because I didn't have the visuals. Um, I'm going to probably read the paperback book as well, but, um, to kind of in the, from the inspector's mind, this is something most won't do, but I hope the ones that do it really see the value of mapping this stuff out. So can, can you paint the picture for us? Is this a sketch? Is it on a spreadsheet? Like what is the freedom map kind of, what form does it take and what, What's involved? Well, we, yeah, you can use, you can use PowerPoint. You can use a, a back of a napkin. It's basically a, a box with some information, with an action in it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, uh, put my, uh, go see realtors, you know, one day a week I, I do business development. So that's a box. Mm -hmm. And then there's a line coming out of that box with an arrow to the next box. Well, once I did that, then what's the very next step in my process? Well, then I get a phone call from a realtor. Well, then what's the next process? Well, then I, you know, I, I go back and I do my dog and pony with them. And then I get another call from them to do my first inspection. So you just, you draw a, 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 a basically what is the customer experience and what are you actually producing? Draw a process from, from advertising all the way through customer satisfaction of how you make your chair. And it's a very simple thing. And if it's more than 15 to 30, 30 steps is really way out there. Keep it high level to begin with. If it's more than 15 or 20 or 30 steps you're playing office, it's way too detailed. You'll never use it. So uh, that would be the first thing. And you can do this on a piece of paper if you're not, you know, if you don't want to do it the other way, but uh, you'll get tired of me hearing this. But then there's virtual assistants who will actually take your piece of paper and turn it into a PowerPoint slide <laughs> yep. that you can print out. Or we use lucidchart.com, lucidchart.com. I believe they have a free version and their expensive version is $4.95 a month. Nice. Um, and, and it does basically, you just drag a box onto the grid and then you drag an arrow onto the box, or onto the grid and you type in the box. That's it. It's, if you can't learn this in five minutes, you're not watching. So that would be a way to do this. And I would take those with me to the, to the uh, uh, real estate offices. And then you're going to find you'll, you'll want 
you want some that's that's a macro view of your business you you'll end up finding uh, you might want a few micro views of the business for like your say your your virtual assistant on how to how to to do the reports and, and the two of you will come up with a another freedom map for that you might end up with three or four or five of these things okay and so that governs to to kind of summarize that that governs these processes and how they're done so you can teach them to someone else and achieve freedom well right? and it also i mean there's there's a lot of psychology in these things too you take this to your to a realtor and then even to the home and show it to the home owner but you take it to the realtor and say here's how we run our business and here's you here's the three boxes out of the 17 that involve you and we need you to do these kinds of things in this amount of time and what you're doing very subtly as you do this, you're getting buy-in, you're creating a partnership. Whereas before you had a client-vendor relationship, they're on top, you're on the bottom, do what I told you. Now you're creating an agreement. I need you, there are things on this map that if you don't do these, th bad things happen. And so you get their agreement, yep, I'll do those things, you do your things, and now we have a partnership. Oh. But, so there's even more reason to do it that way. And, and loyalty is a big thing in this industry. If you get realtors to buy into your vision as a company and how you do things, um, and they agree that it's, that's what's best for the home buyer, you're going to have a, a client for life probably. Well, think about it. We, we have a realtor. I'm thinking of Samantha right now. Samantha, every time she, she uh, works with a new client, she, brings, she pulls out her freedom map and says, here's how we're going to run our process. And then the next realtor walks up and says, hey, I'm great. Trust me. I mean, who, who wins? <laughs> right it's a no brainer so if you're again i love thinking what is it nobody else is doing i'll do that nobody else if this is an industry where nobody follows a process i'm putting together a process and i'm going to blow my horn on that because nobody else is doing it you'll stand out in spades and it just makes people feel comfortable to see a process to know yeah. what to expect yeah it's you know, it, we 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 love we love well, i call it the human needs certainty please tell me what's going on and what will be next we love it yeah yeah we rely on it um let's talk about a little bit about um setting dates and like business maturity date i know it's something that's on the top of my mind i think um how inspectors can start setting these dates and hold themselves accountable to say to work backwards to say sure. by this date i want to be able to go to spain when i want to go to spain yeah. Yeah. So it's a device we put in the book to help people build a business that gives them both time and money. And a mature business, again, simply has, is giving you both. It may not be giving you enough of either. You know, you, you were, you were living off your 401k and, and uh, working six days a week and at business maturity, say your, your, your business is mature because it's giving you both. You might be making $60,000 a year and getting Friday afternoons off, but you're getting every Friday afternoon off and the business is making money when you are not there. That's a mature business. Now let's take it to the next level. Let's get all of Friday and let's make 75,000. Let's go all Thursday and let's make a hundred. Let's make more money in less time. The business maturity date is that first place where you begin to experience a business that gives you time while it's still making money. It's an easy question to ask because everybody knows the answer. What is it, which one of these two is it easier to get from your business, time or money? And the answer is neither, but time is where money is way easier to get from your business yep. than time. Money usually costs you time. So let's figure out how to get money to stop costing us time. Let's figure out how to get time for our, our business. When you unlock Fridays and you start, you know, Samantha said in April, I was, you know, every, every realtor was going crazy Friday evenings and Saturdays and Sundays. And I was out playing with my kids and walking my dog on Friday evenings. And said, when you unlock just the first day, and you figure out how to make money on Thursdays or Wednesdays or Tuesdays or Fridays, and you're not there. You'll get a taste of it. You'll unlock. You'll have unlocked the uh, the combination for yourself, and it will be so much easier to get to where you're now making 150 thousand or 200 thousand, and working three days a week. How often should uh, the business maturity date be revisited? You know, the freedom map, some of these yeah. living. So, so. I, the first thing you want to do is start with the end of the mind. We have this thing called the seven stages of ownership. And you look at the seven stages of ownership and you ask yourself, where do I want to land? What, what does my business look like for me when it's mature? And, it's, and the answer is anything above stage four. Stage four is where you're making bucket loads of money. That is a hostage environment. That's the American dream. 
but it's missing time. Stage so four survival? So is it survival? Stage or? four, yeah, stage four, we call it stage four survival, um, uh, or stage four success, uh, stability rather. Stability, but, that's right. But uh, stage five is success, because stage five is where you're actually getting time and money. Mm-hmm. So you want to figure out how to get to that stage. And, and stage four is the, danger, is the most dangerous one because I'm finally making money. I don't want to reinvest. I don't want to lose what I'm getting. And so you never stop being an income producer. Stage five might require the reinvestment by hiring somebody, buying a piece of software, getting a VA, whatever it is. You get to stage five or stage six or stage seven. So first you decide, where do I want to land? What do, I need to get a clear picture of what it looks like when I get there. And then throw a dart. How long do I think it would take me to get there? And here's a clue. We have these things called three to five club. And I threw a dart when I first did this, when I said, I'm not, you know, this business, this sixth business is going to figure out how to make me more money and more time. I threw a dart and I said, somewhere inside of three to five years, I believe this can be done from the printing of a business card. So I picked four years. I said, I'll eat my own uh, sauce here. And, and I picked four years out from the printing of my business card and that book making money is killing your business that was printed in 2000 or was written in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, I'm sorry, 2009 printed in 2010. And my business maturity date was in 2011. There was two and a half years where in that book I said, I am leaving for New Zealand. My wife and I are leaving for New Zealand for a month, February 18th, 2011 at 10 AM. We're walking out and this is going to be a business that makes money when we are not there. Now, at the time I wrote that, and I said, why 10 a.m.? Because I'm, I said, because I'm going to turn it over to my staff to run. And then the next paragraph says, by the way, at the writing of this book, I don't have any staff. <laughs> but that, that didn't matter. You know, the, the point was I, I, I set the date, and then I figured out, I worked backwards. Well, how do I get there? If I want to be there in three years, then what, where do I need to be in two years? Where do I need to be in one year? What do I need to do in the next three months? What do I need to do this month? Holy cow, I got something I need to do this week in order to get there three years from now. So if, you're, if, you're, if it's taking you more than five years, you're playing office from the printing of a business card. People who already have a steady income and, uh, and uh, are, you know, are, have, a, have a, uh, a, a cadre of, of uh, clients, and they can get there in one to three years. I, I, I can't tell you how many companies I've worked with and how many individuals I've worked with who in the space of one year to 15 months got off the treadmill because they already had a going income production. And they just needed to turn it into a business. Yes. And that is a big bucket of our listeners. Um, so, so, so to answer your question, uh, once you figure out what your business maturity date is, maybe test it for two or three months and then lock it in and don't, don't move it. There's nothing in your business that's the, it's the only thing in your business that you will not change is your business maturity date. I told people if, if, if I'm not, not ready to go to New Zealand before, I'll, I'll buy a lottery ticket. I'll do whatever I can to you know, get out of here. But I'm not changing that date because once you get that mindset of shifting the dates, then it becomes unimportant to you. Uh, so that, get that locked in that two years from today, I'm going to have a business that makes me $90,000 a year and I'm taking all of Friday off and then we're going to go from there. We're going to up the game every year. And, and you should be revisiting that on a regular basis. Put it on your screen as a, as a screensaver. People have them as countdown savers on their, on their screens. I've got 4,228 hours left till my business maturity date. Uh, I, we bought a carafe of champagne and put it on my dresser. And as we saved 50 bucks or 200 bucks here and there to go to New Zealand, we stuck the receipt on the, on the craft of champagne. And we knew we were going to pop that champagne uh, on that date. Do whatever you can to keep this alive because the tyranny of the urgent will suck you right back into today. And you will think that three years is a long way away. It's not. It'll fly by. I love this. Um, let's, can we, can we dissect or can you define the tyranny of the urgent because yeah. this is most of our industry? It is the seminal problem in life, at least that I've identified, not just in business, but mothers have it, children have it, we all have it. Everybody who gets out of bed has this problem in the morning. Two opposing forces. On the, on the left side, you got the tyranny of the urgent. And the tyranny of the urgent is like a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Mommy, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I have to go to the bathroom. Jeannie's on my side of the car. It's just relentlessly chasing you around, trying to get your, your attention. You know, we have a dog with the, you know, the, the aptitude of probably a three-year-old. And if, I, if it was up to the dog, I would just spend all my attention on the dog. <laughs> she's, just, she's just chasing me. And that's the tyranny of the urgent. 
what are the, we call it the tyranny of the urgent because a tyrant is a king you don't want. You got kings and then you got tyrants. And tyrants knocks on your door and says, I own you. I'm not asking. So the question is, what are the things in, in, your, uh, in your business that own you? That you didn't plan on, but they own you. And the answers are things like my phone, my email, my uh, processes that don't work, my clients who are happy or mad, uh, the, uh, the bills that I have to pay every month. You could just show up on Monday morning, once you get your business going, just show up on Monday morning and you could waste eight hours a day reacting to the tyranny of the urgent all day long. And the foolish thing would be you actually thought you got something done because at the end of the day, 18 things came at you and you knocked out 17 of them. Boy, did I have a productive day. Well, you didn't move forward at all and you got one left and you do that every week and now you wonder why you, after 52 weeks, you're not even in the same place you were a year ago. On the other side of the equation is the priority of the, of the important. So the tyranny of the urgent is on the left side. That's force number one. And force number two, when you get out of bed, is the priority of the important. What are the important things in life? The problem with the important things is they are almost never urgent, and they almost never make us money or time right away. They actually, one way to know you're doing something important a lot of times is because it takes time and money away from you. Going to a seminar, going to a, a two-day uh, uh, event where, you know, where all the other uh, uh, home inspectors show up, that stuff costs you time and money. Mm. It's important. We do it training. You know, that costs time and money. We do it because we know that it will come back to us as an investment. The tyranny of the urgent is never an investment. That, that's where we actually make our money. That's why we think we should be over there because I've got bills to pay. I need to make a chair. I make a chair. I sell the chair. I pay the bills. And phew, I got another month. Let's do this again. And so you, you're just sucked into the tyranny of the urgent thinking this is what life is all about. No, the question would be how do you get to where you never have to worry about next month's uh, bills? Well, you build a business. So let's go over to the, the priority of the important and ask ourselves, how do we get out from under the tyranny of, of making chairs ourselves? How do we play the business owner's game? All that good stuff. So the, the important things are things like having a plan for where you want to go, knowing where you want to go, knowing how long you think it'll take for you to get there. I'm going to get there in three years. Knowing what your one big thing is that you need to do this year to change your business and make it better. Uh, those are, you know, being strategic, thinking strategically about our business. We don't have time for that nonsense. I'm too busy making chairs. Well, you will never get out from chair making because you never ask yourself the question, am I doing what I should be doing? Is this where I want to go? So that's, uh, that's one thing that's important that's never urgent is, is planning. Then processes. Processes are really important and they cost us time and money. They're never urgent. I can do that later. Uh, so many things in business, managing uh, our, 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 our energy, uh, leading people and training people and, and building a culture. All of these are long-term things. And again, we are, we're all about killing the next mastodon. So it's really easy to spend all of our time in the tyranny of the urgent and feel like we had such a productive week or such a productive year and then wake up the January 1st of next year and say, why am I still in the same place? The important things will solve the urgent things. You will have a lot fewer urgent things if you pay attention to the important ones. That's the hook. I love it. I love it. Um, Chuck, I Hey, everybody. You may notice we just got cut off um, right at the end of our interview. We were only about a minute or two left, but I wanted to just wrap up and, uh, and apologize for the audiovisual snafu there. But I was really just going to ask him my last question of anything else he wanted to get out there or um, advice he would give to home inspectors. Um, and it was pretty much along the lines of everything that we talked about, um, thinking about your business differently and getting off of that treadmill and starting to really think about how you can have your business give you time and money. Um, so to wrap up, I'm going to link to all of Chuck's books, websites, places where you can reach him in the description. 
Um, but I want to thank you guys for, for listening to this one today. I think it's a real important topic um, when you talk about framing how we think about our business and things we do day to day um, instead of the in the trenches tactical type stuff. So I think it's really important for every business owner to evaluate um, time and money and why we're doing the things we do. So um, thanks again. And if you guys have ideas uh, for people like this, like a Chuck Blakeman, um, that you think I should reach out to and get on the podcast, write in and let me know. Um, I think it, it only helps us grow as an industry when we get people outside of it. Um, so thanks again. And uh, we'll be talking to everybody soon.